All right, I want to um, I want to give you a message of hope tonight. It's interesting that we sing this song we haven't sung for donks. You are the voice of hope, the anchor for my soul. I want to encourage you in breakthrough. Uh, I want to encourage you that, as I told you some weeks ago, that faith removes the if from if God is for us, who can be against us. And uh, some of you are still struggling with the if. And while ever you struggle with the if, you'll struggle with life. When you remove the if, which is what faith does, you will say God is for us. So who can be against us? Now, that takes many shapes, many, you know, we used to sing a song that came from scripture that said some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire. But we all came through what happened because of Jesus' blood. And the journeys might be different, but the victory in your own heart can be exactly the same. Um, I find it fascinating how even outside of some of the things that we would say are the necessary ingredients that men like Nelson Mandela for 24 years uh, in prison had a hope and a strength and, you know, I rather think God was probably somewhere in that process. So, the first recorded um, incident of Jesus speaking in public immediately lays down a marker revealing what he was here to accomplish. And you can find that in, in, in your Bible in Luke chapter 4. Um, we'll read from verse 18. Jesus had been through some, what's known as the temptation of Jesus. And he comes back and he, he, he starts his, his public ministry. And this is his first recorded uh, message in public. And... Um, it varies a little bit depending on the version of the Bible that you read, um, but I'll put it up here in the NIV, and I'll add another couple of um, another couple of lines in that differ in some of the versions. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus talking, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. As I'm going to add one in from another Bible, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now in another version it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm gonna show you that they're the, the same thing. But he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, his declaration of the Spirit of the Lord is upon me was, was bold and provocative as much as it was insightful. Bold because it was suggesting he was speaking with divine authority. Provocative because he was placing himself as the subject of messianic prophecy. Uh, any of you that, that don't understand that really, it was the Jews had been prophesying in the word of God that Messiah would come, the one sent from God. And in this statement, when Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is on me, he was actually saying to a Jewish audience that he was the subject of that, that prophecy. It's also insightful because he was suggesting that he and what he said originated and functioned in the realm of spirit while solidly expressing itself in the dimension of earth, time and space. Then it starts off, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, but then he's talking about stuff that gets done, stuff that really happens. 
in the world, in time, in space, in the earth. These two dimensions knitting together, spirit becoming life, or as Jesus taught us in his prayer, heaven and earth becoming one. <coughs> his second statement about being anointed, <coughs> because he has anointed me, <coughs> some, some might not understand because that terminology obviously is not common terminology that we would use today and um, the further we go away from <coughs> people having some church background <coughs> the less we understand terminologies like anointed but really what it was king, kings and priests in, in history in Jesus culture and also in other cultures were anointed oil was poured on them and that was called, called anointing um, so, so when Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, his statement about being anointed was the clearest way to tell a Jewish audience that he was authenticated, accredited, and affirmed in his right to say what he was about to say. So it's not some hyper-spiritual thing, that's what it means to them. It was a way of telling them, I am accredited, I am affirmed, and authenticated in my right to say what I am about about to say. One, one Hebrew definition of that word means to be privileged. I am privileged to be able to tell you some things with authority. This is Jesus' first speech, public speech to the people. <clears throat> now the things he came to fix must not be limited by literalism or reductionism, otherwise the gospel is exclusive to the poor, to the sick, to the imprisoned. And so, so let me explain that when he says he'd come to preach good news to the poor, I don't believe Jesus ever meant that to be reduced to people who don't have much money. Right? I mean, know a lot of people who've got millions and they're poor. Another phrase used when Jesus used his sermon on, on the mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So were they poor? Yeah, they were poor. They were poor in spirit. Other people were poor in money. Other people might be poor in relationships. So, so don't reduce this to just people who have no money. If you're poor in anything today, Jesus was anointed to deal with that. And... Uh, you know, for the poor, um, uh, uh, prisoners, he didn't just mean people who are actually physically in, you know, in full Sutton prison or Weatherby Young Offenders Institution or whatever. Because I know there are lots of you in here tonight who are in prison. You are as imprisoned and in as much bondage and living within four walls of the confinement of your experiences, anybody who's ever been put away for life, and some of you will serve a longer sentence in your prison than some people will do who've broken the law and gone into that prison. Now, it does include those who are imprisoned for <coughs> being caught by the law and paying their debt to society, but it goes wider than that. We cannot reduce it just down to that. And likewise with... with you know, the other things, the, the recovery of sight for the blind didn't just mean that, that Jesus was going to, you know, was coming for people who were partially sighted or could not see. Uh, because one day he said to people who, who had ears and had eyes, he said to them, you've got eyes but you don't see and ears but you don't hear. So what was he saying? He said, you're blind and you're deaf. And um, part of the problem that we face sometimes in dealing with life is that we're blind and we're deaf. We, we are not aware of 
the root causes, the source of the issues that are created. And the problem is, remember, there's also a, 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 a proverb in the Bible that says, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a pit. Some of you are useless at recognizing what created a situation that other people are in. And when you get involved with those people, it's the blind leading the blind, and you both fall in a pit. Right? Jesus came to open our eyes to reality. So we weren't blind to ourselves. Right? And that's a very scary thing. It's most wonderful to look out that way. Right? And not of the man or the woman in the mirror. Okay? But that's where he wants us to start. Not to be blind to ourselves, to our own weaknesses, to our own failings, uh, to our own um, uh, lack of integrity. You know, you know, if we care about the empathy of some without realizing that how we deal with that could be very hurtful to others, we lack integrity, okay? Right? That's why Jesus said, as far as possible, or, or Paul said, as far as possible, live at peace with all men. Be kind to all. Goodness and kindness has to go across the board. So you get what I'm saying, and the same, obviously, with to release the oppressed. It wasn't just people who have been clinically, um, you know, clinically... Uh, sectioned um, because of mental health issues. Oppression, oppression is anything that causes a pressure in us that is greater than we can bear and causes from us a reaction that is not healthy and not helpful. So do you understand what I'm saying? So I needed to take a little time on that so that because otherwise what we are doing, if, if we limit it to actually monetary poor people and people who've been arrested and put in prison and people are on the street and what have you, actually what we do is we don't create an inclusive gospel, we create an exclusive gospel. Because then we miss, we miss the people who are successful businessmen, right? the people who do well at their, at their studies or the people who are highly educated. That's why I like the fact that Jesus dealt as much with people like a guy called Zacchaeus who was a very wealthy tax collector working for the Romans. He brought as much grace to him as the beggar that was by the roadside saying, Jesus of Nazareth, please heal me. He, he dealt the same, okay? So, so this one who has come who has been given authority, who is anointed, who is authenticated, who works by spirit in human situations to change them, has come to touch all those kinds of needs in, in all of us. So, so the summary of, summary of his, his, his proclamation was the acceptable year of the Lord is here. Okay? Now, it says here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, there are two different ways of translating this. One is the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, that word acceptable means pleasure or pleasing. So it means, it means to proclaim the pleasure of the Lord, the, the, the things of which he is pleased, okay? Not just that, well, that's a bit of an acceptable year. The pleasing, the pleasurable year of the Lord is here, or, or the year of the Lord's favor, which I like. <coughs> So Jesus is somehow coming to announce that favor has begun, a special kind of favor authenticated by God, which is spiritually powerful to intervene in all situations of life has arrived, right? That's why the gospel is good news. Now, uh, another, wonderful, um, uh, another wonderful translation of, 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 of this word, um, well, no, it's the different word. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that word proclaim um, can also be translated um, from its Hebrew roots, 
because there's, a, there's an Old Testament scripture to this. It can be proclaimed. It can be, um, proclaimed can be translated as to summon. So I have come to summon the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying I've come to invite something into our world to touch your life. Uh, another translation for that is to announce. I, I've come to announce this is the year of the Lord's favor. I've come to summon it. I've come to announce it. Uh, and another, another extension of that Hebrew word uh, means to be an invited guest. So, so here's Jesus saying, I have come to proclaim to you that favor should be an invited guest. Right? Favor should be an invited guest. And the wonderful thing is probably like Jesus, I am underwhelmed with your excitement. <laughs> uh, the fact that favor can be an invited guest in your life. Now my point is, invite the jolly guest then, right? <laughs> Dummy, invite the guest. Summon the favor. That's what this scripture means. To summon the year of the Lord's favor. To invite the year of the Lord's favor. To announce that year. But probably the greatest key to understanding the ultimate point of Jesus is revealed in comparing the quote here in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19 with its original from which it was quoted which is in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1 and 2 in the Old Testament of the Bible. Now you might say, why is that the greatest key to understanding the ultimate point of, of, of Jesus? Because when you read the account of this very, very same statement in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, and again, there are some little differences um, on the version of the Bible, but he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me <coughs> because the Lord has anointed me, this is our bit that we read, to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up or heal, another version says, the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release, it's two different versions, those who are bound or to release uh, the prisoners from, or, or from darkness for, for the prisoners. And verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now what, what happens next? Somebody tell me what happens next. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and what? Okay, I have a question for you. What's happened to that bit when Jesus quotes this in Luke chapter 4? What's happened to that bit? There's not, there's not even a common there. This in this version, the Jewish version, their recollected version says, and the day of vengeance of the Lord our God. But when Jesus mentions it, he totally drops the day of vengeance. He talks about the year of the Lord's favor, but never mentions the day of vengeance of the Lord our God. So, because this would suggest, right, this would suggest what we have read tonight, that the last day of vengeance was ending in Jesus, and the first day of a new year was beginning in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. That even Jesus quote in the scriptures, if I did that 
with a verse to support my thoughts, there would be theologians and religious people coming out of my ears and chewing my ears off saying, you can't do that. You only quoted part of the verse. You didn't mention the day of vengeance of the Lord our God. Well, neither did Jesus. I'm with Jesus. He felt it appropriate because the Spirit was on him because he had been authorized to bring something new to declare the year of the Lord's favor and said the truth is if the year of the Lord's favor is existing the day of vengeance of God can't exist at the same time. You can't be under favor and vengeance at the same time. One has to give. So you either got to take away the favor and be under vengeance or you have to take away the vengeance and be under favor. But Jesus was saying these two do not coexist. Now, they coexisted in the religious mind of Jewish society because they saw good cop, bad cop. God and the Messiah, good cop, bad cop. One threatens you and the other one says, but it's all right, talk to me, I'm okay. God does not play good cop, bad cop with us. And I despise the gospel when it's preached with good cop, bad cop, okay? Now that might take you from 7,000 to 250, but that's another story altogether. So the last day of vengeance, if, if Jesus is right, I'm with Jesus. The last day of vengeance was ending in Jesus, okay? Somehow, in the spirit, supernaturally, but something by which we could benefit physically and totally on us, somehow a mystery was happening that was saying the day of vengeance ends here. Jesus was drawing a line in the sand. He said, the day of vengeance just ended right here with my statement. And you have come into the year or the age or the time of the Lord's favor and it was beginning in Christ. Now, this powerful point is emphasized in something announced in scripture as the new covenant. I'm very keen on talking about the new covenant. We have, we have chewed that baby intensely because it's critical to understand the good news that comes through Jesus and what the Bible really is trying to introduce to us. So, so, so this, this point, incidentally, that we've talked about is emphasized in this thing called the New Covenant. Now, it was called the New Covenant for a reason, and it frustrates me uh, as I go around the world talking to different groups, but they still don't get it. New means new, okay? It doesn't mean all this stuff that we had before, plus this, that's not new. The way I explain it everywhere I go is that if you build an extension, onto your house, do you have a new house? The truth is, no, you don't have a new house. You have the same old house with a new bit added on. I don't think God's a liar. So if he calls it a new covenant, then it must be what it says on the tin, a new covenant. So when we read these two important scriptures about that, which we're not gonna read tonight, but you find them in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 35, and then you have that repeated in the New Testament, just like we've got with the verses we read tonight. You have it repeated in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 through 12, right? 
identical, repeated again, you have the point being made that in these two almost identical scriptures that they are announcing this new covenant. Now, that's strange terminology. Remember, the, was it the Labour Party who came in with the New Deal, right? This is the New Deal. God was saying, there's a new deal on the table, okay? It's not like the old, we're not like we used to be. It's not like the old deal. Or a new promise, if you like. There's a new promise. And it's not like what has gone before. Now, we become devastatingly attached to what has gone before. And that makes us ill-fitted for the miracle of what needs to be, okay? If we can't let go of the day of vengeance, we won't live in the year of the Lord's favor. But sometimes we're too attached to what has been that we can't detach ourselves to embrace and invite. I love that phrase that we read. To invite favor as a guest. Isn't that fab? To invite favor as a guest. To summon favor. See, what I want to show you tonight is God has given you authority through Jesus by the same Spirit to summon favor into your life. To invite favor as a guest to be part of your every living moment. See, at the core of this new deal or this new covenant, we find, guess what? The favor of God born on the vehicle of something called grace. And if you read that new covenant, it says it will not be like the covenant I made with your fathers. They couldn't keep it. They failed me. But he said, but this is the covenant I'll make with you after that time. I'll put my law in your heart. I'll, write, I'll, write, I'll put it in your mind. I'll write it on your heart. You won't have to tell your neighbor, know the Lord, because they'll know me from the least of them to the greatest. And he says, in your sins and unrighteous acts, all the stuff that's screwing up your life, your experiences, your understanding of God, your openness to the divine touching you, he says, all their sins and unrighteous acts, I will remember no more. I'll take them off the table, out of the debate. You have no excuse for not inviting the favor to be present in your life. No excuse. You have no excuse for pointing the finger at someone else and deciding they can't have the favor in their life. No excuse. You say, but what if a person's doing this? If their sins and unrighteous acts I will remember no more are remembered no more, then whatever those sins are, they're remembered no more. So I can't pick anybody's life and say, but we're holy or we're righteous or we don't do this or we do that, but it's not for you. If your sins and unrighteous acts are remembered no more, and if you don't accept that, you have to say, I don't accept Bible. I don't accept the word of God. I think God was lying. Your sins and unrighteous acts I will remember no more sets all of us on the level to say that actually we are failing ourselves if we fail to invite the year of the Lord's favor to be part of our existence. We're letting ourselves down. We are robbing ourselves. We are living beneath our privilege. We are living below the measure of our own inheritance if we do not invite that favor to be part of our life. See, the declaration of the new covenant talks about a time coming. It says, a time is coming when I will make a new covenant. Now, what's interesting is that when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, and I absolutely loved the tweet the other day. How many of you have ever done those fuzzy felt 
pictures. There was a great one the other day that was posted, the picture saying, um, I, I, um, I have done a fuzzy felt picture of the Last Supper. Um, I am sorry, but I ran out of characters, so one of the disciples is a tractor. <laughs> That's my kind of humor. I could just, I, I, I saw that in my mind probably for three weeks. All I could see was the, the Last Supper with one of the disciples was a tractor. We didn't have enough figures left. But in that Last Supper, Jesus takes the last cup. Now, what some of you might not understand is there were, there were four different cups in that celebration. The last cup was the cup of praise. It was the cup of thankfulness. It was the cup of celebration. So after they'd eaten the meal, had the supper, Jesus lifts up this cup and he says, guys, this cup is the new covenant. Remember, remember he said this covenant's going to be dead. This is the new covenant in my blood. Now, what was he doing? He was saying, what I said to you when I started my conversation with you that day when I said the spirit of the Lord is upon me I'm closing out my conversation with you now as I give my life by telling you the same thing this cup is the new covenant in my blood this is a proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor with no mention of the vengeance of God the time the year had come we're still in that time we're still in that year And if I'm right, which I think I am, it means that that favor that Jesus said was present, that that, 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 that new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied, that that's actually here for us right now tonight in our situation and whether we're poor, Whatever way we're poor, whether we are whether we are in prison in whatever way we're in prison, whether we're broken-hearted in whatever way our hearts have been broken, whether we're oppressed in whatever way we have been pressed, favor is here to give you victory over that tonight. Now the writings about the new covenant, and this is where I'm nearly finished, say God will put something in our minds and write it on our heart. It says in those two scriptures, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, it says, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. Now, um, not a long time to talk about this, but I, I've thought for a long time, wouldn't it be pretty silly, and apologies to God if I got this wrong, but I don't think I have, to simply write in, put in your mind and write in your heart what he put on stone and wrote on stone that nobody could ever keep and they were broken even before they were ever introduced to the people. Because Jesus said, even if you reduce the law to just two commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, there's not a single one of us in here have done that. And there's not a single one of us in here can do that if we live for a thousand years. So even if you reduce those old ways of measuring ourselves as to whether we qualified for the favor of God, you were always going to fail. So why would God put in your mind and write on your heart something you could never live up to and never keep? So that's not what he writes, puts in our mind and writes in our heart. What he puts and writes is, the sa- is not the same old stuff that we couldn't abide by anyway. That, what would be the point of that? I believe the new covenant functions under a new law and unlike how it used to be, it wasn't the law that we keep, which was the old thing, but it's the law that he keeps. 
So the, the reason he can say your sins and unrighteous acts I'll remember no more is because it's not how we perform that opens the windows of heaven over our life. It's how he performs. So basically he said, you know, this righteousness stuff, this getting it right stuff, you're rubbish. You are absolutely, unapologetically rubbish at it. So I'll tell you what, I'll take that out of the equation. That's called love. I'll remove that as a measure. And I'll take the whole measure upon myself. That's what, that's what Jesus on the cross was all about. I'll take the whole measure upon myself. I'll, I'll make it a way that actually it will never again be a law you have to keep. It will be a law that I keep. A promise that I make to myself. A covenant I make with myself about what I'm going to do for you. And so I have a sincere belief uh, that the law that he puts in our minds and writes on our hearts is one simple thing. I think it's one law that he keeps and I believe what he puts in our mind, writes on our hearts, is the words that he ended his ministry with, right? His closing point, hung on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's recorded in John 19 and verse 30. And Jesus said in closing out his ministry, remember he started, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. I've come to bring the year of the Lord's favor. And you think, well, did he? And then he uses these words at the end of his life. Okay, it's the end of my sermon. It is finished. And what God wants to imprint on every heart and life, for, for Joel, with all his failings and struggles and stuff, God puts in his mind, writes on his heart, it is finished. It is finished. Like for Najat, he puts it in there, says, it is finished. That, that, that is meant to be the reference point for our existence. The reference point is not what you have done wrong. The ever, reference point is what he has done right. So in your mind and written on your heart, God wants you aware of these words, it is finished. Now I'm going to put three other words on there so it makes it practical to you. It is finished in my favour. Because if he's taken away the day of vengeance, right? The year of the Lord's favour, but, but, but doesn't mention the day of vengeance, then not only is it finished, but it's actually finished in my favour. Because what wouldn't have been in my favour is the vengeance. So once he's dealt with that because of what he has done, it's actually finished in my favour. It's finished tonight in your favour, right? The place that you live is the year of the Lord's favour. And he waits for you to invite that favour as a guest into your life and say, come, favour of God, you, I invite you to be a guest in my life because of what Christ has accomplished. I invite you to be a guest in my life. I make room for you. I don't want you to leave. And so my conversation then coming out of that should be totally different. There's a favour released upon your life in every area and every dimension. Body, soul and spirit. Everybody might not get physically healed, but everybody who touches this has the grace to live life to the full, whether healing comes here or on the other side of the grave. Everybody here might not be a millionaire, but you'll have the grace and the peace and the life of God in your life to see the supernatural provision of God taking you through every day. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Every one of you has struggled with self-worth and value and been under the oppression and the imprisonment of that nonsense. When you begin to recognize the favor of God upon your life, you will emerge from that prison into the light of day to realize that you're special to God. You are unique and you are wonderful. You're the pride of his heart and you're the apple of his eye and that you have a purpose in this world that you are diminishing because of your wrong valuation of your own life because you are not living in the favor. When you live under favor, it means you are favored or you are a favorite. You're God's favorite. Liz is God's favorite and John's God's favorite and Barbara's also God's favorite and Stuart's God's favorite. If you ask God who's your favorite kid, say you are. And Joel. Oh, and Jenny's there and Jenny as well. See, that's what favor means. You are God's favorite. How did you qualify? Well, you qualified because he qualified you, right? He qualified you. He said, we've got to get rid of this vengeance thing and we've got to come into this favor thing and I'm going to release the new covenant so that I'll put in your mind and write on your heart so you know every day it is finished and it is finished in your favor. So, here's the deal. Whatever you're facing, it's already finished in your favor. Now, life can be hard when you're staring down the barrel of stuff that's telling you anything but. But this is the answer to the anything but that you're being told. You have a response. You don't need to react, you can respond. And you're, you respond by, well, it is finished in my favor. Oh, you're going to go to the doctors next week? Yeah but I'll tell you something, it's finished in my favor. Do you know what? Our bodies, this, this is absolutely a fact. Whether, whether you see a, what people would know as a miracle healing or not, your body will begin to heal and have strength simply because you have understood and taken hold of the fact that when I see the doctor, I know this is finished in my favor. You will be amazed at the health that will flow in your body and the resistance to disease because of that. When you are going into depression and you say, but hang on a minute, my circumstances are real, but there's something more real, that it is finished in my favor, right? So let's finish here. You can continue to vomit out the same old negative, faithless stuff that holds you like a prisoner. You can look for your strength in those equally offended and struggling like you. Or you can allow healing and sight and wholeness and freedom to break out by embracing the work of Christ on your behalf and declaring and living in the finished work that he has accomplished and declare it is finished in my favor. The rest, my friends, is now up to you. So be blessed, enjoy your ribs, God is with us.